you see you here, hey, there's one week left. If you don't have those presents bought, you better get to it. I'm just saying. <clears throat> I was talking earlier uh, to a fellow here. Um, in the 30-plus years of married life, I have only been properly prepared for Christmas one time out of all that, uh, to my shame. <laughs> I think this year I'm going to do it again. We'll see how that goes. I love it. Well, it's good to see you all here. Uh, welcome to those who are downstairs, too, and joining us online as well. Um, we are in the home stretch, right? We're looking forward to it. Next week, we get to celebrate Christmas. Well, as you know, we have been talking about um, this, uh, coming out of this uh, passage in John chapter 1, we've been talking about this where the Word became flesh, right, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. And we've been kind of looking at some specific words or phrases that are found in the Christmas story. So uh, two weeks ago, we talked about be not afraid and how the angels appeared to different individuals and, and spoke that to them and how that can be applicable to us. And last week, we talked about the word blessed and how that applied to Mary, but how that also applies to us. Today, we're going to be talking about the word Savior. And wanting to just behold his glory, so to speak, as this verse is saying. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We'll get right into this. This word, Savior, it, it is found um, a number of times in Scripture, uh, but only one time as it pertains to the birth of Christ. Isn't that interesting? As I was studying through this and just kind of looking at some details, and I usually start out with just kind of collecting information, so to speak, and, and bringing that together and beginning to trust the Lord. How do you want me to put this together, Lord? And what do you want me to say? And, and how do you want me to do that? As I was do, doing that study and looking at this and realizing, what? I would have thought for all the years that I have celebrated Christmas that the word Savior would be found multiple times and it just would be in a sense, the main theme word of the whole Christmas story, but it's not. It's only found here in this place, Luke chapter 2. In fact, Luke is the only one of the gospel writers who actually inserts this in. But even though it's only found one time, it has huge importance to us. And that's why we want to look at this word, because it, it just comes right up to our minds. And so it says in Luke 2.11, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. <clears throat> he has been promised. As I've mentioned before, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that's the first promise of this one coming. And all throughout the Old Testament, you see this message weaved all through there. One verse after another after another of this Savior. We sang about this, actually, a promise that God would keep of a town where he would come from. All kinds of prophecy of, of the events and the details. And we see this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 14. John says this, We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. And that, to me, is kind of like a stamp on this message that has been woven through the Scripture that John is saying, listen, we were right there. We can see what went on, and we can testify to you as, as firsthand witnesses to this fact that the Father has, notice that's past tense, right? He has sent the Son as Savior of the world. 
That was his intent. That was his plan. That was his design. We're going to see this towards the end of all this. So God has been weaving this through and bringing us then now to this place in, in uh, Luke where he tells us the story of, of, the, of the fulfillment of that promise. Let's pick this up then in verse 8 and get into our context. It says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Now we've looked at this passage already, haven't we? Uh, as it pertained to our first uh, phrase was, do not be afraid. And we saw it right here. I want you to look at it a little bit differently today. I want you to see how it says, like the, the context of the, this angel appearing. Something is important. Something is about to happen. And God is sending a messenger to reveal that. And he does that with some authenticity, like he's trying to authenticate that. It says, then, behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. I don't know what that looked like. I, I, it was enough to cause them to be afraid, but something of awe, something of wonder was occurring right here. <clears throat> and the angel said, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Don't be afraid, because I'm here to tell you something. It's good news, good tidings, and it's of great joy. What I'm going to tell you has the opportunity or ability to create fantastic awe and wonder and delight of the heart. Great joy is what he's saying. And then he tells them, Here's the message. For there is born to you this day, this very day that I'm talking to you, this day in the city of David, in that little town, a Savior. And he's Christ the Lord. That's who he is. Now you'll notice that there's no word of Jesus attached here. But in Scripture, as you study this out, you'll find out of the 24 times that it's mentioned, 14 of those times in that specific context, it links up Jesus, the word Jesus, the name Jesus, with Savior. So that we have no question in our hearts and our minds as to who we're talking about here. <clears throat> He's telling him, this one is born to you this day, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I was looking at this phrase, a great joy that will be to all people. And... I don't know about you, but I find that uh, that's not always true for me, right? I, I don't know, maybe I have an expectation of excitement and, you know, woohoo kind of stuff, and maybe that's unrealistic, I don't know. Maybe it's because, well, I mentioned to you before uh, last week that familiarity to this story often robs us of the awe, right? Maybe that's all part of it. Um, the Lord gave me a beautiful illustration of this, just to tell you how this works. So I have become a grandpa for the 10th time, just in the last day and a half. And uh, so our, our granddaughter is born, and the grandkids of that family are with us, and we get them together early in the morning, and my wife says, hey, guess what? Now they know the baby's coming, right? And they're just kind of sitting there with some anticipation. And, and Sue says, Millie, that's her name, she's arrived, she's here, right? 
And my granddaughter, out of her mouth, she says, oh, good, like, oh, it's wonderful news. She says, now I'll have someone to be in the same room with me in my same bedroom, and I don't have to be afraid. And joy, great joy, right, at this news. And so Sue, being the good grandma that she is, she said, well, um, you don't have to be afraid anyways, right? You know that. Yeah, I know that. Well, you know why? Yeah, it's because of God, she says. <laughs> and I'm listening to this, like filming it actually, so her mom and dad can see this. And I'm thinking, oh girl, you, you don't know him yet. She's only five years old. You, you don't know him. Like if you knew him, he would be the one that you're like, yes, he's here. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to worry about being in my room by myself. But instead, she's trusting in her little sister. I thought the big sister's supposed to, she's got something messed up there. Okay, we're going to have to do some work. But isn't it interesting? Isn't that just an illustration of our hearts? That we have this news, this awesome, incredible news, and it's kind of a bit of a eh at times for us. You know, we just kind of, yeah, good, good tidings of great joy, moving on and that's how that is, right? <clears throat> and I began to think about that and wonder, wh why is that the case? I find in my own heart is this propensity to kind of walk away from it, to be caught up in the things of the news cycle or whatever, right? The issues of life and, and not take time to think down into this. Consider. So I thought maybe we could do this a little bit. I wanted to look at, it says that he's the Savior. There we go, guys. It's not working again. There we go. Come on. <clears throat> he's the Savior. Now, it's proven to us, if you remember, as soon as, or not as soon, but right after he's born, reasonably right after he's born, the law had said that every male child that was going to be born, that they needed to be presented at the temple and a sacrifice needed to be made for that child. And so Mary and Joseph do this. They're obedient to that. And they come up to the temple. We talked about this with the seniors earlier this week. A guy named Simeon was there. And, and he has been told by the Lord that he will not die until he has seen the Christ, the Savior. And so he's, he's waiting, and the Spirit of God, you can look this up, it's it, further on in, in chapter 2. He's waiting, and the Spirit of God kind of gives him that elbow and says, hey, you need to get to the temple. You need to go. Okay, Lord, I'll go. And he arrives, and here's Mary and Joseph. They come in with the baby, and right away he recognizes he's the one. And he says, okay, Lord, you've, you've fulfilled your promise. I can come home now. I'm ready because I've seen it. You've told me I won't die until I've seen him. And there he is. And this is what he says in verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. So I'm just giving him as an example to us of, of there's an authenticity. These angels are, are stating something. This is what's going to happen. And it's great joy and salvation has occurred. But, but we oftentimes drift away from that. Why? Well, let's look at some reasons why. One is, I believe, this penalty of sin is death. 
That's what the scripture says. Do you remember clear back in the garden? Do you remember where it started? And Adam and Eve are created and and God says to them about that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat of that because the day that you eat of that, you'll die. Do you remember that? And from that time on, we have a record of, all, of going through scripture. In fact, if you read some of the genealogy back there in Genesis, it will say so-and-so begat so-and-so and he died. So-and-so begat so-and-so and he died. And it'll repeat it over and over and over all the way up to Noah. And any place in scripture, we'll find it just continues to occur. And he died. Why? Because the penalty for sin, the wages of sin is death. That's what it deals out. That's what it pays out. This is an awful thing for us, isn't it? If you watch the world and their reaction to death, you'll see that there's a fear. There's, there's, uh, I had the privilege of actually being in a tribal location one time when a lady passed away, and uh, they were scared to death because they thought that if they didn't consume that body that her spirit would hang around and they would get sick so they had to get rid of the body as fast as they could this is in the jungles of south america no no pristine you know lab coats that a doctor has on no no beautiful bed that someone comes and cleans up or anything like that it's just dirt and wood and fire and smoke And her body is consumed. Why? Because they're scared to death of death and what it brings. You look at our own society, you watch how we strive after immortality, right? We take all the vitamins we can take. We exercise as much as we can do. It's all good stuff because it it helps our bodies stay healthy. But let me tell you something. We're all going to the grave. It doesn't matter whether you die in war or whether you die in the peacefulness of the night, it's all the same. It's heartache. It's awful. It's a tragedy. All too often, we, we weep in those situations because of this right here, this penalty of death. We need a Savior who will save us from that because we cannot do it ourselves no matter how much we try. There's another one, the power of sin. I don't know about you, but there's this sin that easily besets me. You know how the scripture talks about that? There's things that I can recognize in my, in my life that have been somewhat characteristic about me. I've shared some of those with you before. It's not just those that are characteristic. It's all kinds of things. And sometimes, I, well, I will never do that again, right? Only to hardly get it out of my mouth and I'm doing it again. I'm thinking it that way. I found myself in this whole thing of do not be afraid. As Millie was, uh, we knew she was going to be coming here in the next 24 hours or so. And I'm in the middle of the night while she's, my daughter's laboring. And guess what I found in my heart? This temptation to be afraid. Lord, what, what, if, what if things don't go well? What, what if, I know better than that, right? I, I've just taught on that just a little bit ago. I know what the word of God says, but guess what? This power of sin where, where it kind of, in a sense, gets a hold of us and boy, we just wrestle with it all the time. Do, do you know that as an unbeliever, this was the only thing that you could do? That there was no other recourse? There was no other option? 
It was only sin continually as an unbeliever. We need a Savior to save us from the power of sin, to be able to say no to it. Here's another one. We don't like this one. The wrath of God. A holy, righteous God must respond to sin with wrath. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. It demonstrates to us the awfulness of sin. It helps us to realize the separation that that brought. No wonder he was saying, guys, do not eat of this tree, because when you do, you're going to be separated from me. That's what death is, right? You're going to be separated from me. Don't do that. Because now the wrath is poured out, and justly so, in fact. We need a Savior who will save us from the wrath of God, because in his justice, he's pouring it out. Here's another one. This diabolical creature. I use the term diabolical because the scripture tells us that he knows his fate. He is working against that, but he knows what God has declared about him already. He is a defeated foe. And it says in a diabolical way that he works in such a way to drag all of us with him. He's not content for his own sentence to be carried out. He wants everybody else to join in that too. He's diabolical. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He was from the very beginning when he talked to Eve and he fooled us. And guess what? He continues to do this same thing. And we're not so sharp in our own minds that we're just, oh, well, we've got this, Lord. We know how to do this. He's a more powerful being than us. And we succumb to him all the time. When we were born into this world, guess what? We were actually born into his kingdom, the word of God says. And it tells us, whether we knew it or not, that the things that we were doing as an unbeliever, we were doing it in accordance to his desires, in accordance to his will. He is terrible, but we are unable to save ourselves from him, and we need a savior who will save us from Satan. Here's another one too, the law. This one was actually given by the Lord himself. He gave it to us. Moses, remember, went up on the mountain, comes back down with the tablets, written on them by God's own hand. These are the words, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt, right? List them out. But it gave us no means to actually accomplish that. And generation after generation after generation sought to, to fulfill the law in such a way that they could be saved. And that it was never able to do that. It was never intended to do that. It was always intended to demonstrate to us we need a savior. Because only he can accomplish for us what the law demanded. And so we needed a savior. Oh, here's another one. We live in this one, right? I'm not talking about the planet. I'm talking about the world system. What the scripture des de uh, describes as, as the thinking of this world, the axioms of this, the belief of this world, the complexity of this world, the system. It actually says 
that this world system all lies or all revolves around that evil one, Satan, that we were talking about just a minute ago. That's this world. And it comes at us, right? Sometimes we're, we're capable of recognizing maybe certain blatant things that are contrary to, to the word of God, but it's amazing how many times we get sucked in. We breathe it in only to breathe it out in the sense of we actually, even as believers at times, buy into worldly thinking and express that worldly thinking to others as if it's godly thinking. We need a savior. We need someone who will save us from this world. Not in a sense of like, oh, this world is terrible and I just want to get out of it. Oh, come Lord Jesus. No, we want him to come because we want for everything to be done. Where, where the gospel has been presented to everybody in this world, to the whole world. A savior to the world. That's why we want him to come because that's going to be done. But all too often it's just, no, we just want to get out of this. Well, I'm here to tell you that he has saved us and kept us in this world and can continue to save us right here in the middle of this kingdom. How incredible is that? We need a savior. And lastly and most awfully is hell. You think about this. A place designed where the sentence of death, separation from God, would be lived out. A terrible place. A place of torment, pain, agony. A place where, after having spent 10,000 years, that person will have only begun. Because if we're going to pay for our own sin, it's going to take an eternity to do that. And by definition, it's everlasting then. It will just go on and on. We need a Savior to save us from hell. Am I helping you think about this a little bit? Am I helping you to, like, like when he says, <clears throat> good tidings of great joy, I'm going to give to you, a Savior has been born, Am I helping you to kind of think through some of that and, and to realize, wow, Lord, this is great joy to me. Because without it, these are the things that I would be affected by. And I'm here to tell you that he saved us from every one of them. If you've put your trust in Christ for your salvation, if you've put your trust in this deliverer, this savior, he has actually saved you from all of them already. That's astounding. That's whoop, whoop kind of news, isn't it? <clears throat> well, let's pick it back up here in Luke chapter 2. Keep on with the story. The angel says to, to these shepherds, he says, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. There was something about this <clears throat> that as the angel proclaimed this, these good tidings, he said, listen, you, you got to get this. This is important. You can't miss this, okay? I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to help you to know that who I'm talking about, and you go to see, you're going to know who it is. You're going to find this baby. It's going to be a baby. 
and it's going to be wrapped in swaddling clothes. That wasn't abnormal. Eh, baby, we know a baby. We know what a baby looks like, right? We know what it's what swaddling. Last night after the service, I had the first privilege of meeting Millie. And guess what I had? A swaddled child. And I get to hold her. And, and it flooded into my mind. Simeon, that guy that I was telling you about at the temple, he actually scooped him up, it says, in his arms and, and held him to himself. And, and that's when he said, now your salvation is here, right? And I pick up this little one and she's all swaddled. And I looked at her and I thought, you're a beautiful child, but you're not the babe. Because I had just been talking about this stuff. It was on my mind. None of this was uncommon. But what was uncommon, lying in a manger. There was no other child in all of, uh, of, of um, Bethlehem that night that was lying in a manger. This was the only sign that he gave. This is what you need to go look for. Why is that important to us? Well, Scripture says this in Acts chapter 4. It says, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It is only in this one, this child right here. So you better get him right. You better find out who we're talking about, and you better worship that one right there, the one in the manger, because there is no other name. There is no one else. There never was, there never will be, there never was even at that particular time. No other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It is only trusting in Jesus Christ, this one who's found in a manger. That's it. You talk about joy, we finally found him. This is like more than a needle in a haystack. This is of all the people who've ever been born down through history, and this is the one. Joy. There he is. I have found him. It's like, it's like searching for a diamond that's been lost, only to find him and now multiply that so many times, right? Delight. What a wonder it must have been for these angels to give this message, to be able to speak this. Have you ever done that before where you've, you've given out a, a message? Hey, I'm pregnant. Well, I'm not, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Hey, I'm getting married. Hey, I bought a house, right? They understood something. Do you realize that what they're talking about here is something that they themselves will not be the recipients of? And yet they find great delight in telling Mary and Joseph, in telling these shepherds, this is what's going on here. Look at this then. It says in verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude, a gaggle, a flock, a horde, a ton, a bunch. What do you call them? A multitude of the heavenly host praising God. These are individuals that, that they're, they're abundant joy is pouring out oh god you're incredible how is it that you would send your son this little baby and put him in a manger of all places so that all these people and so many of them don't even know you and aren't even looking for you and you did it anyways and they're praising god 
And they're saying, glory to God in the highest. Wow, God, you're incredible. And on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. This is what he's ushering in. This is what he's bringing in. I think they saw it somewhat better than most people do, actually. It tells us then in verse 16 that the angels, after they departed, that the shepherds said they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph. Let's go. Let's, Let's go find this. And they were, it was, there was an urgency. See, they, they were hearing these good tidings of great joy. We have got to see this ourselves. And off they go. And the little word found there, they came with haste and found him. That word tells us that there was a search that was on. I wonder how that went. I wonder if as they came into town, they began to see some people. Hey! We've heard that, that the Christ has been born. Do you know where he's at? No, I don't know anything about that. Well, do you know of anybody who's been born tonight? No, actually I don't. Well, you know what? Me, there was this lady who was pregnant. She came by here, but I didn't have any room for her. And I sent her on. Maybe she, I don't know. Well, where'd she go? Down that way. Okay, we're going that way. What are they looking for? They're looking for a child who's born and now in a manger. That's going to be the sign. It says they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe, what? Lying in a manger. This is the one. He's it. They found him. And the scripture records that for us so that we have another evidence that the Christ has come. Savior of the world. It says then in the next verse, it says, Now when they had seen him, they made uh, widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. Once they saw him, once they recognized, this is him right here. This is incredible. And when they left, they began to tell everybody. I don't know what hour of the night it was. I don't know how many people were on the street. I don't know if they started banging on doors. I don't know. All I know is the word of God tells us that they told it. They began to say, this is what was told us. You wouldn't believe it. We were out in the field and this angel appeared and this is what he said. And so we came in here and sure enough, we found him. This is the one. There was something that just welled up within them. They couldn't help but tell that. I think you and I have the same opportunity. I I think that as we consider this Savior, I I think as we wrestle with this whole thing of, like, why did we need a Savior? Oh, that's right. Oh, that's Oh, yeah, that too. Oh, that one as well. Yes! Oh, man, do we need to tell people about this. Paul addressed this a little bit in a letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1. And this is what he said. Notice some of these words here. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, verse 1, by the will of God, notice this, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Do you remember I told you that that the penalty for sin was death? Separation from God? God has promised life. Sin has arrived There's a payment for that. It falls on everyone, 
but God has made a promise of life. And that's what Paul says here. I'm an apostle. I'm, I'm going to be a, a messenger. I'm going to tell you about these things. And it's, and it's by the will of God, but it's according to the promise of life. That, that that's where my apostleship, it, it fits into that. I'm going to speak something that has to do with life. I'm going to tell you about this. And he says, which is in Christ Jesus. It's only found in him. That's why it's important that we're able to identify for people it's the one who was born in a manger. We know that. We have evidence in Scripture. It's him. Multiple pieces of Scripture that tell us this is the one, and this is the one that we get to proclaim to them. Paul then says in verse 8, talking to Timothy, I think things that are appropriate to you and I. He says in verse 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Don't be ashamed of that. I don't know about you, but sometimes I would recognize that. In myself, I'm talking about. Sometimes I'm, I'm in a moment where I have an opportunity and I pass on it. And the reason I pass on it is because of this admonition. I just struggle with that. I don't know if you do too. And there's an admonition to us. And I think the more that I understand this good tidings of great joy this Savior that's come, the more it affects me to where I want them to hear that too. I want them to know that too because he said he's the Savior of the world and they're part of the world. So, so they need to hear that. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Share with me in the sufferings. What am I so afraid of? That right there. Suffering. I don't want to do that. I don't want the look that's like, oh, brother, how in the world do I get stuck beside this guy? Right? Oh, you're one of those. I'll just tell you. <laughs> since becoming a pastor here, I, I, don't, I don't like the term, just so you know, because <laughs> I'm just Tim. But I hate it when we go someplace and my wife tells somebody, Oh, he's a pastor. It's like, why are you telling him that? Because I get this all the time from that kind of stuff. Don't tell him that, right? Part of it is not because I care about them stiff-arming me. It's because, well, you're a pastor? Oh, you're not like an engineer or an astronaut or a, you know, <laughs> like, no. You see, it's within our hearts, isn't it? Can you identify with that at some level? No wonder he says to him, like, share with me in the suffering. That means I have to choose to do that. Well, I'm just here to tell you that the more I understand that a Savior has come and why I have needed him, the more I've been willing to make decisions contrary to that and for him. And so he says, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us. He's already done that. He's speaking to him as a believer. And that's true for you and I too. He's already saved us, but look what else. And called us. Some people say, well, I'm not called. Yes, you are, according to that verse right there. He's called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose. He did it because he had a purpose, an intent. He called us according to his own purpose and grace. Notice which was, past tense, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. 
in the mind of God, he saw every one of us. He saw that we would trust him. And he said, okay, guess what? I have a purpose then for that individual. I want for them to be sharing this, to be proclaiming this, these good tidings. Oh, I got to start out with my angel here, but I want people to be doing this now. But has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is one of those 14 times where the word Savior and Jesus are linked together. <clears throat> has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at this. Who has abolished death. That word abolished means like done away with. The effect of it. Oh, it's not that we don't die physically because we do. This body and this spirit within it are going to separate. It, this body is never going to last for forever. So something's going to happen there, right? But he's taken away the sting of it. He, he's abolished it. it. It's effect upon us in the sense of this, now this separation between us and God. Real death. He's done away with that. All we have to do is count on that. Trust him for it. Not only has he abolished death, but he's brought life and immortality. And that word immortality means like unchangeable, life that is unchangeable. What he has given to us is life. He's given to us abundant life. He's given to us everlasting life. He abolished death. And now we have life, true, real life that we get to live now and for all of eternity. And he has brought life and immortality to light. How? Through the gospel. That's our opportunity. That, that's, our, that's our moment, so to speak, when God pairs us up with an individual who doesn't know this. Is it possible that he wants to use you to speak these words of life I've got good tidings of great joy, which the Bible says is for you. And this is what happened, a Savior. You needed a Savior, and he has already come, and he's been identified. It's Jesus. He's the one that you need to put your trust in. He's the one that you need to count on. And as you are given that opportunity, and you share that, and that person puts their trust in him for their salvation, now they celebrate Christmas, true Christmas, for the very first time. How incredible is that? I mean, that would be something that I would be saying, hey, why don't you come and celebrate Christmas with me so that I get to see it, right? Get to watch this. The lights come on, right? He has brought to light through the gospel. That's what he wants to do. So I'm here to tell you, next week, there'll be a lot of people here probably. Typically, people come to church who don't darken the doors, right? Until it's Christmas time or Easter. But don't wait for that. I'll get an opportunity. There'll be others who will get an opportunity to share that with them. Don't wait for that. Go after it yourself. Why? Because this is what the scripture says. Behold, <laughs> I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. You're given the opportunity to share that. Let's ask him for that. Lord, open our eyes. Well, let me ask him right now for that. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes to the opportunities that you'll set before us. Father, I can identify with Timothy there. 
I can identify with the admonition that Paul gave. I think these friends of mine right here can identify too, Lord. There's times when we're embarrassed. When we kind of choke in our throat when we know we ought to say something and we, it just tightens up around us. <clears throat> we're creatures who are self-centered and wonder how this is going to affect me, so I don't want to say anything. Lord, help us to recognize that and help us to see that, oh, you talk about good tidings of great joy. We've got the news. We know the story. And we can tell them. We can tell them what you've done in our lives and how you freed us from all these things that we've been talking about. Father, help us to walk an abundant life, a life that it would be a testimony to others of what you have provided. Give us those opportunities, Lord. I know that you'll give us the strength to go through them. And if we will just respond to your spirit to be used by you, Oh, it won't cause people to get saved. They have to make their own choice too. But put us in their path, Father. Help us to be able to declare just like the angels did. Glory to God. Wow. Peace and goodwill on earth because they have come back into a right relationship with you. Thank you for giving us this opportunity. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.